Have you noticed that politicians struggle to enact the things that they run on? That regardless of who wins elections, lawmakers find that they cannot enact whatever legislation they like. They are bound by what is popular or at least their sense of it. The narrow range of policies that lawmakers can enact is called the Overton Window. And here on the Overton Window podcast, we look at issues around the country and the people changing what is politically possible. Most states tax income. That is, on top of the annual income taxes levied by the federal government, states add their own. And it hasn't always been this way. Indeed, no state had an income tax before 1900. And in a span of 70 years, there are only six states which hadn't created one. The state of Washington is one of those states. And joining me to talk about this is Jason Mercier, the director of the Center for Government Reform at the Washington Policy Center, a free market think tank in Washington, where he has successfully fought against income tax proposals over the past 20 years. Jason, why is there no income tax in Washington? Well, Michael, it is great to be on here with you. And as you noted, this has been a long struggle to keep what is an obvious competitive advantage for the state of Washington. And we'll come back to that in a little bit, because that's not just me saying that. But yes, Washington is one of those nine proud states without a personal income tax. And that has got a little bit of a tortured history on it. It has some Supreme Court rulings. It has a lot of revolts from voters. And if we fast forward to today, it's got a lot of disingenuous proposals from current lawmakers. But to your question, why don't we have one? You can have an income tax in Washington. That's okay, but it has to follow our property tax restrictions, which means it can't be more than 1% of value, and it has to be uniform. What you can't have is the Oregon, California, New Jersey graduated income tax. And the reason for that comes down to how our Supreme Court has defined what income is. Okay, so theoretically then to enact a type of income tax that's not graduated, that are subject to these restrictions, legislators would just need to pass a normal law. It's not subject to supermajority requirements or constitutional amendments. Uh, it would just be a particular kind of, of uh, income tax. Yeah, so Washington is one of the states that has the right of initiative. So either the legislature or the people through a ballot measure could impose a flat 1% income tax. But that's not what they're wanting to do. They always want to follow the let's tax the guy behind the tree type of tax policy and say we're going to put the burden on somebody else. But I think to start from the beginning, I mentioned court rulings and constitutional amendments and gains. If you look at Washington's Constitution, you will not see income tax either prohibited or approved anywhere. What you're going to find is the broadest definition of property in any state constitution that was actually added by the voters via a constitutional amendment. And what it says is property is everything subject to ownership, whether tangible or intangible. So basically, if you own something, it's property. So what does that have to do with an income tax? Well, believe it or not, during the Great Depression, the voters used that right of initiative and passed an income tax overwhelmingly in 1932. But the Supreme Court invalidated it, said it was unconstitutional because you own your income. And if you own your income, it's property. And therefore, it has to follow those property tax restrictions that are in our Constitution. Well, since that time, since the Supreme Court basically said, hey, you know, you're, you own your income and income is property and we have these property tax restrictions. The legislature since that time has actually successfully sent the voters 
six constitutional amendments to change that, to say, you don't own your income, or we can have an income tax without a constitutional or, or without um, with this constitutional amendment. And the voters have, even though they passed that very first income tax, they have overwhelmingly, by the same margins, rejected those constitutional amendments. And they've also rejected four other ballot measures where people have tried to get creative and say it's an excise tax, not an income tax. So where we are today in 2020, Supreme Court says you own your income, you have restrictions on property, the voters have rejected 10 straight efforts to say that we can have an income tax. So where does that leave the proponents of this? Well, it leaves them playing games. So when did you uh, first start engaging on this issue? Well, so I have been in our exciting world of free market policy since 2000. So I'm going on 20 years of trying to maintain our competitive advantage of no income taxes, which used to be fairly straightforward. You know, I, I served in 2002. We had a tax structure commission of experts across the state looking at our tax structure. Are there ways to change it? And obviously, the income tax played heavily in that. But ultimately, the recommendation was not to go down that road. But, you know, those are kind of the the honest tax debates you have. Where we've been, unfortunately, for the last eight years is in the realm of uh, fiction and attempting to uh, play games and set up lawsuits since the voters won't cooperate. And that has to do with these efforts for a excise tax on capital gains. And if you don't know what an excise tax is on capital gains, don't feel bad. It doesn't exist. <laughs> uh, so digging on that a little bit more for me, uh, what it's there playing around with definitions, why and uh, uh, what has uh, been the pushback to that? Yeah, so this started back in 2012 and, you know, their work on the free market side and there's another think tank in the state that's on the liberal side and, you know, they've been frustrated by the fact they can't get a constitutional amendment. So, you know, bless their hearts, they got creative and said, well, how, how can we try to get around this to see if we can set up a lawsuit because, you know, the, the justices have changed since 1932 and since 1960 and since 1983, the, the previous times the courts have weighed in on this. Maybe we can get the judges to change their mind and say you don't own your income anymore. So out of that came this proposal for an excise tax on capital gains. And that that hurt my head. I was like, I don't understand that. So I actually called the revenue director of all 50 states and said, are taxes on capital gains an excise tax or an income tax? And every single state without fail said it's an income tax. And a couple of them were colorful. The, the call with the folks in New York kind of went the way you would expect. And they're kind of like, what are you, stupid? It's an income tax. Uh, the call with Texas was, was somewhat therapeutic because it made me realize I wasn't crazy. I, I asked this question and it so confused them. I had the comptroller in Texas along with her fiscal staff on a conference call, trying to understand what I was talking about. And as I explained what was being proposed here in Washington, I kid you not, they started laughing on the phone. That's just how ridiculous it is. And just to, for good measure, if you don't think the states are a good authority, uh, I actually got my congressman, uh, Congressman Newhouse, to contact the IRS and say, you know, Washington State is having this debate about whether taxes on capital gains are an excise tax or an income tax. Can you help us here? The IRS wrote them back. It's a letter I've got framed hanging on my wall. And it very simply says, it's an income tax, their income, end of story. So, And this has been your debate for the past eight years. And it's not a debate anywhere outside of the borders of the state of Washington. <laughs> Why is this happening? Well, thankfully, our legislature is subject to public records. 
And I submitted a public records request to them last year on this very topic to see what do they know that the IRS and every other state in the country don't know. And it turns out what they know is that this is their best opportunity to set up a lawsuit to try to use the courts to do what the voters want. They know the minute they pass this, it's going to be challenged as an unconstitutional income tax. And they get that fast track to our state Supreme Court to see if they can get five judges to do something 7 million Washingtonians want. Mm -hmm. Uh, What are the chances of that happening? Well, you never want to guess what a court is going to do. What gives me some comfort on this is, you know, if you listen to those that are pushing this, they make it sound like there was this out of control court in 1933 that overrode the will of the voters and denied us an income tax. But the court has repeatedly been asked to reconsider that decision on multiple occasions. And my favorite ruling from them was in 1960. It was a one page order that said, stop asking us. We're not changing our minds. If you want this policy, amend the constitution. Now there was two, uh, to the income tax supporters credit, they have tried to amend the constitution and voters have rejected that. But yeah, it's basically the third rail in Washington pol- politics, which is why nobody a- openly says they're trying to do this. But as, as we discover through the public records, that's their motivation. So one other thing that gives me a little bit of hope that the Supreme Court would do the same thing it has done consistently for almost 100 years is there was another effort separate from this capital gains tax to try to bring the state of Washington an income tax. And it came from our friends in the Seattle City Council who knowingly and willfully violated state law and the Constitution to impose a Seattle-only income tax. They knew it was against state law. They knew it was against the Constitution, but they wanted to be sued to go to the Supreme Court. So in that case, it was it was not just a it was a city income tax that they didn't have authority to do from the legislature. But on top of that, it didn't meet the constitutional uh, requirements in uh, in the state. That is, if you want an income tax, it has to look this a particular way. Yeah, correct. So it was it was a graduated income tax, which ran afoul of the constitutional restrictions. And the, the major problem Seattle ran into is there was actually an explicit prohibition in state law, a very simple one-page bill that said local governments cannot tax income. Uh, Things got a little bit sideways on that, which we can get to in a moment if you like, but ultimately the state Supreme Court refused to hear Seattle's challenge. And if there was an appetite on the court to overturn its prior rulings, they probably would have accepted that case. So it's a good indication that even if uh, your supporters are successful in trying to get their excise tax on capital gains approved, it doesn't seem to be something that the the courts are interested in weighing on or that they would weigh on it in the negative. Well, it's just unclear. This case, unlike the Seattle case, will go to the state Supreme Court. I mean, there's just no way around that. Part of what Seattle ran into was obviously what they do when they review uh, whether or not to take a case is, is there a controversy? And, and since Seattle was running afoul of local statutory prohibitions, they didn't have to get to that constitutional question. With the legislature passing this, however, is it, there's no way about it. It goes directly to the state Supreme Court. But if there was an appetite to open the door, you, you would have thought at least expected the state Supreme Court to hear Seattle's case. They just refused it. They rejected it. They didn't even hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I, I mentioned things got a little bit sideways in that case, even though the, the state Supreme Court rejected hearing the case, 
I mentioned there was that 1984 law that explicitly prohibited local income taxes. Our appeals court went off a reservation and they ruled this law, which has been in place for 36 years, violated the state constitution. This one-page bill passed by the legislature almost unanimously. There was only three votes out of 147 lawmakers against it. Uh, they said it violated the Constitution because it had more than one subject, even though everything related back to local governments. So what that basically means as of today, because the Supreme Court did not take that case, that appellate court ruling stands. So you can't have a graduated income tax. But that appellate court ruling has now opened the door across the state of Washington for local governments to impose a flat income tax. You're trying to take uh, the supporters' arguments and, and criticize the arguments that they're making in, in good faith. But can you tell me about some of your other strategies uh, that you're employing uh, to fight on this issue? I mean, there's three issues kind of in play. I mean, the first one, and, and from a policy analyst perspective, I think my most frustrating one is it's a disingenuous discussion. Right. Just be honest. Just you want to we just it. want to talk about the income tax. If you want to right. talk about it, here's the official way that you get that. Let's have that policy debate and let's see if the support. I mean, that's just one aspect of this. Then you have the aspect of the legality, right? And the fact that, especially in our form of government, you know, we all remember the old uh, video of how a bill becomes a law. A bill becomes a law by following the process, not by trying to judge shop, right? So you have that aspect of it. But this is more around the realm of politics and legality. When you actually get to the policy of an income tax, it's bad policy. Washington state, you know, you look across the country right now and a lot of states are hurting because of the global pandemic and what that's done to their tax collections. Now, Washington state has taken a hit because there's no recession-proof tax structure. But we're actually doing fairly well. I mean, in the midst of a global pandemic, our revenues are less than what we expected, but they're still growing. That's just shocking to me that it's still growing and it's growing because we have a very stable tax base, gross receipts, which on you know, themselves are a pretty horrible tax, but they're pretty stable property tax, the most stable tax you can have and sales tax. Now, while you have volatility, it is still more predictable than income taxes. So from a policy standpoint, our three legged stool shows great stability when you look at our revenue collections, it shows a nice steady line up. It's not a roller coaster like you're going to see in Oregon and California. And the reason for that is because those states rely on progressive taxes. And the thing about progressive taxes, yeah, it's going to be great when times are good. But when times are bad, your bottom will fall off. That kind of brings up the question of who are the people who are supporting these income tax efforts. I mean, I assume that there, there are supporters. There's a broader coalition of people that want the state of Washington to tax income. So, you know, I think that we need to look at for this debate is it's really about ideology and not about funding the core functions of government, right? Because when we look at taxation, when you look at the, the purpose of your tax power, it's to fund your core functions of government, right? That's the trade-off that we make. And you want that done in a stable way that gives you predictability, not only for your, your programs, so people know the programs are going to be there any given year, but for your uh, economy that you have predictability in your taxes, right? So if that's your purpose of taxation, that's why I think Washington State's got a pretty good mix. But from an ideological standpoint, getting back to let's tax the guy behind the tree, if everybody has skin in the game, it's really hard to keep jacking up spending because people don't want to keep paying more taxes. 
But if I can start to say, hey, we're going to tax somebody else, you don't have to worry about it. That allows me to increase spending even more. And those that benefit from increased government spending are pretty excited about that. And that's primarily those that are pushing this new type of income tax. So it is primary an ideological point, but there are, in fact, people supporting this. What are the arguments they're using for why the state of Washington should have an excise tax on capital gains? Well, there's the the argument that they'll make from the ideological standpoint of fairness. People have money that, and those should be the ones that pay more versus those that they don't have a lot of money. So it's the, it's the income redistribution argument. The, the one that, you know, kind of being back to just wanting an honest tax debate that really hurts my head is we need a capital gains tax because we need to have more stable revenue for our schools. And if anybody knows anything about taxes on a stream on this scale of volatility, capital gains tax are the most volatile part of your income tax base. And an example of how crazy this is from a policy standpoint, our friends down in California, you're not going to call them fiscal conservatives. You're not going to call former Governor Brown a, a you know a, a Grover Norquist type of economic person. He pushed through a constitutional amendment a few years ago in California to basically take their capital gains revenue off of budget so they couldn't spend it because it causes such havoc with the stability of their expenditures. So to make an argument that Washington state needs to throw away its competitive advantage, and I keep using that phrase because that's something that our State Department of Commerce, our economic development entity in the state of Washington, goes around the world saying, come to Washington State because you're going to be at a competitive advantage of no personal or corporate income tax, right? This is our state commerce department. But you know, you've got those who are saying, hey, let's get rid of this competitive advantage so that we can have a more stable tax that every other state's trying to run away from. That, that just blows my mind. Mm-hmm. So who are your friends on this issue? I mean, I assume it's not just uh, you yelling to all the residents of the state of Washington about, you know, capital or excise tax on capital gains is really an income tax and you really should do it a different way and we shouldn't have it in the first place. So what uh, who, who else is with you on this? So there, I mean, it, I mentioned that the voters have consistently rejected these income taxes. And, and the last time this happened was in 2010. And you know, it, it failed by a two to one margin. And what made that so unique is that it was not an across the board income tax. It was one of those, hey, we're just going to target this on the super wealthy and only they are going to pay more. And oh, by the way, we're actually going to cut some of your other taxes if this passes. But that failed statewide because voters don't trust politicians that once you open the door to a, a type of tax, it's going to only sit, stay on certain people. And the rates aren't going to change. And you actually have seen this borne out from the last two states that enacted an income tax in New Jersey and Connecticut, right? Those were promised as being very small rates, very limited bases, and then they expand and, and go from there. So you have that aspect of uh, voters just don't trust that you're only going to tax a certain person that someday it's not going to come down to me. And then the other side is... So can I stop you on there with, with an important question, which is... You know, Washington does have a reputation, at least for its uh, for having a progressive population. But you're saying that even that progressive population doesn't necessarily trust the state government. Like, is, is, what's what's the story there? 
You know, so I, I have lived in California. I have lived in Oregon. I've been in Washington now for about 20 years, and I am still trying to make sense out of Washington because when you look at the statewide officials and the legislatures, the, the politicians that the voters put into office, they will be on the more liberal side. But again, I mentioned that we have this this ballot right. We have an initiative right. We also have a right of referendum to veto bills passed by the legislature. So even though they're putting more liberal people into office, without fail, with the exception of tobacco taxes, every other time voters vote on taxes or they vote on uh, tax restrictions, and we used to have a supermajority requirement for tax increases until our court tossed that, that was put in place six times by the voters. So when the voters vote themselves on tax policy, the fiscally responsible position prevails but it doesn't get reflected in who they put into office to, to run the state. Okay. So if, if it's trust that is the primary problem for why these interests have repeatedly gone after this one issue and have repeatedly failed to get what they want, like, wouldn't your advice to them to be to build up trust uh, in, in, uh, among uh, residents? Well, you know, that's kind of asking the impossible thing. I think of a, uh, of a legislature when you look at what they do session to session. But, you know, I, I think that to, to show this is more of an ideological effort than a, a fiscal effort, it's not just on the capital gains income tax. We're, we're having the same type of efforts and gains played on environmental policies, a carbon tax, a low carbon fuel standard. So, again, these are things that even though they aren't working in the other states that are, are using them in Oregon and California, uh, we've got actual data from California legislative auditors saying this policy does not work, but yet our governor and our legislature is now trying to impose that in the state of Washington. So again, this it's less about what, what policy is going to actually achieve what you want and more of your worldview and trying to take advantage of the, the climate to impose it. Yeah. I mean, that's really interesting because it seems like if it were just a mercenary effort to try and get more money in the state capital, like there's plenty of other taxes that are out there, but yet we're kind of focused exclusively on on this income tax. So I think that's pretty interesting. I mean, not that I want to be giving them advice on how to generate <laughs> more revenue, right? But if this was truly about, well, how do you have a tax structure that reflects the current economy? Well, you look at the fact that you don't tax services on your sales tax, and this is a service-based economy, right? You look at your gross receipts tax is an incredibly inefficient pyramiding tax. Is there a way to look at other ways of trying to structure that? But you do that from a tax structure standpoint, right? So ideally, you do that from a revenue neutral basis because you're, you're trying to say we want to have our tax structure accurately reflect the economic activity without picking winners and losers. But going back to that trust, they just can't help themselves. And they, it's always about more revenue to increase spending even more. Are the primary uh, bounds in the Overton window on this issue the voters? As in, like, they've been asked repeatedly to weigh in on this and repeatedly they've said, uh, no thanks. You know, ultimately, especially in this Republican form of government with a, a small R, um, it's always comes down to the voters, right? You ultimately have the final say in everything that, that happens. But I think for states like Washington, where you do have the right of initiative, there's nothing prohibiting the voters from putting a ballot measure on there saying, you know what, we don't like what the appeals court did. We don't like the fact that you're playing these games. We're just going to close this door entirely and prohibit any state and local taxes, income taxes, <laughs> not all taxes, taxes. Yeah, so that's interesting because it means that there's 
Um, the strategies to get this uh, policy are very different from the strategies to oppose it, which is like, look, we're trying to find um, uh, uh, for the people trying to get this uh, excise tax on capital gains. Um, they're trying to say, look, we're going to do something legislatively. Uh, we're going to try and make some type of court challenge and we're going to do what we can to keep this off the ballot because we don't think voters are uh, voters want this. Yeah. And that basically, if you think that you have a policy that your citizens want, you put it before them. You don't try to lie about what you're doing. And you don't try to get judges to do what the electorate won't. That's where this is just the most dishonest type of way of uh, engaging in tax policy that I can think of. So what are your prospects for the future on this issue? Well, unfortunately, having done this for 20 years, if this doesn't get enacted this year, I'll be doing it for another 20 years. It's just kind of the, the perennial policy. It's their holy grail. They think that, you know, once they pass the income tax, even though it hasn't solved New York's, New Jersey's, California's, Illinois' problems, somehow it's going to solve ours. But at this point, it's just a matter of hitting those three elements in education of let's have an honest debate. You don't try to implement policy through the courts. That's not how this is supposed to work in not only Washington, but in the United States. And if your goal is actually sustainable, dependable funding for your core functions of government, this is not the road you want to go down. So education about how taxes imp implicate and uh, are instituted across your economic base. So let's get down to some of the practical matters of uh, working on a think tank. Exactly how do you get that message out there? Like, what do you do to broadcast uh, these points that, that you think are vital to this debate? Now, this is where things have really changed in the last 20 years. And I know you, we've been doing this together for a long time where you used to send out faxes, right? And after you sent out your fax, you would call the reporter, hey, did you get my fax? And you would hope you would print a story about it. You know, there are still, uh, obviously, there are still newspapers. There are still TV stations. But unfortunately, I think for them and for our democracy, they are so small and what they can cover so much of what happens in policy and what happens in legislatures never gets reported. And that makes accountability very hard. But where things have changed now, whereas you used to have to try to go through those gatekeepers to get the information out with the advent of social media, these, this podcast that we're on right now, the ability to do your direct contact through, um, I mean, one of the things that still blows my mind is, is those ways of being able to directly target cell phones and certain zip codes to, to push your information to. So just the ability to directly get the facts to the electorate who are ultimately the sovereigns of, of this decision-making process. Uh, and that's where, you know, we'll spend our time researching. We'll try to figure out a good way to help get the narrative out there about what it means. Um, but when people have information, uh, I may not feel like it having gone through 2020, but when people have facts, they generally make the right decision. <laughs> so it's just getting those facts before them. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things I like about this issue is that people are already interested in it. You don't have to sell them, like, why should you care about the income tax? We already know, like, people already feel that. And so they're naturally curious to hear what you've got to say. I think that's kind of a neat thing on this issue. Well, again, the fact the other, the effort on the other side is to lie about what they're doing pretty much shows you what strong position you're starting with. Mm -hmm. So you've spent as you've mentioned, two decades on this issue, and you've been successful so far. I know it's sounding like you're constantly fighting this issue, but 
how does it feel to be so successful against what can seem like a tidal wave of opposition? Well, this kind of goes back to having lived in the other states and um, watching this difference in our electorate about what they do when they consider the issues directly about and then how they respond through their legislature. So this is why I mentioned this is going to be an ongoing effort because the legislature is going to constantly try to push the bounds. But I think what's been the most rewarding about this is even in a state that most people would kind of write off, you know, even from yourself there, you kind of have a per- perception about what Washington is. That's not really how it is, at least on fiscal issues. On fiscal issues, there it still feels like a, a pretty purple state. And it's just a matter of continuing to um, remind people about why we're in the position we're in. And, you know, oddly enough, we have some interesting uh, spokespeople. We just had Gene Simmons of KISS. Bella's mansion down there in California and say, you guys are crazy. I'm, I'm going up to Washington where I'm not going to have to pay an income tax and have this burdensome taxes on my ability to provide jobs. And that's, you know, I'm, I'm sure you get this as well. Some a lot of my emails and phone calls I get are from people across the country saying, I'm concerned about what I'm hearing on this, this capital gains taxes. I'd like to move to Washington. It would be a good place to retire, be a good place to open up my business. And this kind of gets back to our Department of Commerce. I mean, we have this reputation for having no income tax. And, uh, you know, a little funny personal story. I was down in Disneyland a few years ago and you're standing in line and, and the, you strike up a conversation and the, the dad of the family next to us says, oh, so where are you guys from? I said, well, I'm from Washington State. He doesn't know me. He doesn't know what I do. His, his first response to me saying Washington State was to turn to his wife and go, that's the state without an income tax. That would be great. And, you know, I'm thinking to myself, even on vacation, I can't escape this. <laughs> shows that reputation. So where can people learn more about what you're doing on this issue? So we pretty much post everything that we do, both uh, our multimedia content and then our research on our website, which is washingtonpolicy.org. And we do also have a lot on social media. So you'll find our Facebook pages. Uh, I have my own Facebook page. It's the WPC Center for Government Reform. And there you can get all my therapeutic posts about it's an income tax. Jason, thank you for being part of the Overton window. It's been great. Thanks for having me today. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Overton window, a podcast by the Mackinac Center for Public Policy. Learn more about the Overton window at www.theovertonwindow.com.